Hey, Medical Education Podcast listeners, this is Kevin Eva, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, coming to you from an unfortunately fire-ravaged Canada in summer 2023, but I have the good fortune to go along with that of an opportunity to speak with Aliki Thomas, who's Associate Professor at the School of Physical and Occupational Therapy at McGill University, and also Associate Member of the Institute of Health Sciences Education at the same institution. In the August 2023 issue of Medical Education, Aliki and Rachel Alloway have a paper that's the latest in our Medical Education Mythology series, where we try to give authors an opportunity to critically appraise commonly accepted notions within the health professions. And the title of their article is, Whose Problem Is It Anyway? Question mark. Confronting Myths of Problems in Health Professions Education. Aliki, I suppose I should also note that you said just before we started recording that you're a bit under the weather, so I appreciate that you're fighting through this, and we'll try to make it efficient for you. Thanks. Welcome to the podcast, and let me start by just highlighting the notions of knowledge translation and implementation science and related concepts, because I know that's near and dear to your heart, and I wonder not only if you could explain to our listeners what you mean by those terms, given that they're not necessarily the same as are used worldwide. But it'd be great too if you could set some context by telling us your background and what brought you to be interested in that sort of activity. Right. Okay. So I'm an occupational therapist by clinical background. So I do look at the world from a lens of applied healthcare. I did my PhD in educational psychology and I was always very much interested in evidence-based medicine and evidence-based practice. And then I moved to Mac and did a postdoc in knowledge translation because it became increasingly very, very clear to me that evidence-based medicine was really partly deficits in the use and uptake of evidence were partly what propelled the birth of knowledge translation. And so I've been, you know, doing knowledge translation and implementation science work for, you know, over 10 or 12 years I can tell you a little bit about what they mean to me in terms of the research that I do. So knowledge translation is really about embarking on a very intentional, tailored process to move scientific evidence into practice. And the idea behind it is that we have to do that because we have a growing and robust body of evidence that's suggesting that a lot of the knowledge that we actually generate, the evidence that we generate is inert. It's not finding itself in the hands of practitioners. It's not changing clinicians' decision-making and, of course, is not making changes in patient outcomes. And so in Canada, at least, and we're not the only ones, we're in the top, I would say, we're leaders in this area in the world. But in Canada, this is a field that's about 25, 30 years old. So this idea of identifying where are the gaps, the nature and the magnitude, I would say, between scientific evidence and its use, what we like to call the determinants, what are the factors, individual organizational systems level factors that constrain or support the use of evidence. And the big other third part is really about designing tailored interventions and then testing them, deploying them and testing them to reduce those gaps by targeting the determinants, of course. 
So that is the process of knowledge translation. Implementation science is all the science that underpins the how-to of knowledge translation. So it's all of us that are really interested in the methods and the theories and the frameworks that are used in knowledge translation. What methods are you going to use to identify barriers? You know, what methods do you use to measure that gap, right? The magnitude of the gap between what is the scientific evidence says ought to be done and what is actually being done in a very complex area of practice. And so implementation scientists spend a lot of time thinking about what are the best methods and what theories, and they could be learning theories, organizational theories, sociological theories, psychological theories. There's a multitude of theories that have been used to really try to build the science of knowledge translation. I really always was very, very interested in how clinicians make decisions and the use of scientific evidence is one source of information, but it's been increasingly contested for a variety of reasons, which is now what I would call my bread and butter is what I spend 80% of my working time trying to figure out is what is evidence, who generates evidence, who has a stake in what kind of evidence is being generated and how is it then mobilized and used in terms of uptake? And when it's not, what are some of those reasons? And it can be, you know, from very, very concrete examples, such as there aren't libraries in a clinical site where people can have access to the evidence, to the fact that the evidence is just really irrelevant for a particular area of practice or a patient population or a context. So increasingly, I've been interested more and more in notions of knowledge and evidence and context and how those interact in terms of influencing behavior and clinical decision-making. So unlike a lot of other fields of study within the academy, you know, health professional education is very much like medicine in the sense of it's an applied field. And unless the research that we're doing is relevant to practice, there's really no reason for the field to exist, I would argue. And I see you nodding, so I think you feel the same way. So not to problematize it, you know, given the focus of this paper, but what's the problem that you were worried about that led you down this exploration? Well, it was a very, very specific moment. I'll never forget it, where I was actually having a chat with Rachel and I remember telling Rachel, my co-author on this paper, I'm often solicited to participate in projects in health professions education for which there needs to be, and now I'm saying needs that I'm putting quotation mark, a knowledge translation approach or lens. So when I hear that, the first question that comes to mind is, what is the problem that we are trying to solve? Knowledge translation exists because somehow we have determined or assessed or identified a need to bridge what is being done because it is not the ideal with what ought to be the ideal. And so I'm often asked, let's use a knowledge translation approach. And my comment is, what is the problem that we're trying to address with a knowledge translation approach? And that's how this paper really was born. And it isn't only about knowledge translation. The paper discusses, is everything that the scholars and scientists in health professions education do meant to solve a problem? And who decides that that was indeed a problem? And are instances of research where 
trying to solve a problem that comes, as you rightfully said, from the ground or from the practice environment because we're an applied field, necessarily those studies and those papers that make the biggest contribution to the literature. And so it started off as, hey, you know, knowledge translation is not the solution to everything. To us unpacking really what I was trying to tell Rachel during that conversation was, who decided that something was a problem for which KT was a solution? And that was sort of the birth of the paper. And because we are an applied field, we got to thinking about, okay, is everything that every scholar does in health professions education really meant to address a problem, right? And who decides that it's actually a problem? And in one part of the paper, we talk a little bit about, we don't quite use the word arrogance, but, you know, we say, well, you know, researchers are not necessarily the ones that automatically decide that something is problematic and requires a solution. And I think we've shot ourselves a bit in the foot when we've tried to do collaborative practice-based research, but not necessarily being open to what the practitioners, the teachers, the decision makers believe to be the issue. And here I'm intentional between issue and problem. There might be things that they're interested in, but they don't perceive them to be a problem that needs fixing via research. Right? Sometimes as they want to understand a phenomenon, they want to better understand why things changed in their teaching environments or in the educational policies, but they don't view it as a problem. So that's how we sort of started discussing this. And then it turned into these five questions that we asked our community to think about. And we do say at the end that we think the answer is no to everything. So we took a position on it. But we asked our community, is everything a problem? Are all practitioner needs about problems? Are all practitioner problems resolvable by evidence? Do papers, as I mentioned earlier, target real problems? Do our papers that we publish always target a real on-the-ground problem? And lastly, do the studies that address problems make the biggest contributions? And so we organized the mythology paper around those five areas. And we argued, in fact, at the end, you might have other questions or the community might have questions that they would like to add around the notion of what's a problem. So that's how we got there. <laughs> in thinking about those questions that you just posed, the myths that you're trying to explore, those are broad and challenging questions to take on given the diversity and breadth of work that's done in health professional education. This paper doesn't have a formal method section per se. It's not an empirical piece of work, but can you tell our listeners a bit about how you set about trying to appraise those issues and generate the position that you just alluded to? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think there's really multiple pieces that I'll draw on to answer that. The first one is that, in fact, in the positionality section of the paper, we make very clear who we are. And I said at the outset that I'm a clinician, I'm an occupational therapist, I do implementation science, I look at the world in terms of trying to, and again, quote unquote, make it a better place, right? It is health professions education and health professions research I agree with you, is about improving and doing something better and achieving, you know, more positive outcomes. Who gets to decide those outcomes? That's something that we also talk about in the paper. So I look at the world from a very applied perspective. That's how I look at the world. But both Rachel and I 
as you know, Rachel, of course, is an editor-in-chief of one of our journals. I'm an associate editor for two of our journals. So we spend a lot of time reading the literature and looking at what questions are being asked, what is being studied, what phenomenon seem to be of interest such that they're getting traction enough that they're being peer-reviewed and finding a place. Someone is making a decision on an editorial board that that particular work has something important to say and will make a contribution. So when you live in the world that I live in, where you ask questions like, what is going to change as a result? Who cares about this? Who decided that this was an important question? Then that helped shape a couple of the questions. For example, my very applied lens and background helped me craft and think about are all practitioner needs about problems and is everything a problem? And the reason why I say that is because I have found myself repeatedly in situations thinking some phenomenon needs to be studied or looked at or examined. And practitioners, particularly more in my clinical research, would say, that's a problem for you. That's something you want to invest in. You believe it makes a contribution. But in my day-to-day practice, to me, that's not important. And so we brought in notions of trust, of relationship building. And because I do a lot of participatory, very sort of integrated knowledge translation research, working with other stakeholders, decision makers, teachers, clinicians, very important to me. So it became very clear very early that not everything that I view to be a problem is necessarily a problem from the perspective of... I'll say this a bit facetiously because I know that many people in our community don't like this expression, but the end user, right? So again, it's a perspective that oftentimes researchers have. This is going to be thrown at the end user. And because I tend to do very collaborative research, I'm trying to steer away from that. So those are some reasons. There is my, my perspective as a clinician and somebody who does applied research. There is our experience with the journals. But also, I think for me, the most important one, Kevin, is number three. And I really want to take a few seconds on three, and it's are all practitioner problems resolved by evidence? So 10 years ago, I would have told you it's a linear thing. We have evidence We're going to move it into practice. Everything will be better as a result. And I'm saying this half jokingly, because when you train in a world of evidence-based medicine and knowledge translation, that's really the underlying assumption. But what we're seeing now, at least in health professions education, but also in the clinical realm, is that evidence in the way that we define it as that generated from original scientific research is very seldom the biggest drivers of decision-making or of clinician or of teacher behavior. And so not all the problems that our peers and our colleagues have in the classroom or in the hospital, not all of the problems are going to be solved just because we have scientific evidence to throw at. And so what was very, very important to me in this paper was to dispel that. And we really share with the community that, hey, yes, I'm an implementation science person. I think deeply about knowledge translation, but I'm also very, very well aware that evidence is one driver of what happens in our field. So maybe the third then is experience from our own research and insights that were gained from our own research. And we're proposing them as these five structures, but we are starting to do research to try to really support a little bit more some of these claims for which we answer no. 
In the interest of time, I'm going to leave the details and the insightful argumentation for readers to go and seek out themselves. But as they do that, what's the core message you want people to take away from this article in terms of what they should do differently or what we as a field, I guess I should say, should think about doing differently moving forward, either in terms of research or practice or the interaction between the two? Yeah, and so we do allude to them in the paper, but I would urge us to think about it. And I would urge the readers to reach out and engage in conversations with us. And at the very least, if we bump into each other at conferences, I really would like us to rethink what a problem is in medical education and the role that problems that we see or we believe to be problematic. What does that mean insofar as someone initiating or driving a research inquiry. So I'd like us to rethink about who gets to decide something is problematic and that it warrants research. Okay. Is it up to the researcher? Is it up to the practitioners? Should it be collaboratively? So I'd like us to think about that. And in the paper, we talk about canvassing knowledge users. So is that something we want to think about? In the future, is that something practical or should we stay independent of each other? In an applied field, I think more conversation, more synergy between the two is not a bad thing. So let's think about that. The second point is, you know, solving problems is always going to be a part of health professions education research. I really hope that we solve problems and answer questions because we do want to make the world a better place. And if we continue in that vein and we insist that we have problems that we're going to be solving, my challenge to the community is whose problems are being answered, okay? Is it the teachers, the decision makers, the accrediting bodies? Is it the researchers? Whose problems are being answered and why? And do some problems matter more than the others? Because at the end of the day, we're graduating healthcare professionals, and the last thing is for anybody who maybe I consider myself a bit of a nerd when it comes to knowledge translation and implementation science, but anybody that wants to play in that space, I would love more conversation because we're seeing more and more papers. We're seeing more discussion about knowledge translation, if and how it could be used or applied or brought in as a lens in health professions education. But I think it needs to be done really, really thoughtfully. And I would welcome a conversation about what the role of knowledge translation is insofar as these problems that we're trying to solve. So do we need to adapt knowledge translation in the way that it was known formally and officially, at least in Canada in the health care sector? And if we use a strict knowledge translation approach, then what about health professions education and the contextual aspects of our field or the context specificity in our field, what do we stand to lose if we don't use knowledge translation a bit more nimbly with more flexibility? There's an opportunity to add to knowledge translation, right? To build knowledge translation theory and practice because we are unique as a field. The last one is this misconception that Everything that we generate has to find use in educational practice and policy. So any and all evidence needs to be used to somehow improve something because there are so many problems. You know, I don't think that we only generate knowledge or evidence with an end point of it somehow finding its way in practice. So those would be my four key messages. 
That's great. And does indeed give us lots to think about. And I'll just highlight that your third message demonstrates that you're trying to live the advice you're offering in terms of welcoming others into a conversation and asking them to reach out to you if they want to have that discussion. So I will let people know that anyone who is interested, you'll find Leaky Thomas's email address in the article itself. It'll be in the August 2023 issue of Medical Education under the title, Whose Problem Is It Anyway?, Confronting Myths of Problems in Health Professions Education. Leaky, thanks for these challenges. Thanks for your time. I hope you're going to feel better very quickly and uh, look forward to seeing what the response is to the article. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and enjoy the reading. <laughs>